So here we go, Advent. We are in now Advent Joy, the third week of Advent. And I have just been loving this. I am, as you know, a hopeless romantic. And I love these kinds of traditions. Are you guys enjoying this? It's so good. It's so good to have an opportunity to rejoice and celebrate our Savior in different ways. And I think it's awesome every season to be able to do that together. I just saw Jack. My friend, how are you doing? Welcome home, man. They've been hanging out in Idaho. I miss that smiling face. Okay, so here we go. So we are in joy. And I want to start with this. Look at this. I love this. Um, we didn't sing it today, did we? Don't you love this song? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. That was written by Isaac Watts in 1719. And it's a meditation and a paraphrase of Psalm 98, uh, not Psalm 96 and Genesis 3. And he actually wrote a whole bunch of songs that were a transliteration of a translation of, of, the, of the scriptures. And these are where we get these Christmas songs. And this, of course, is the, one of the most famous Christmas songs of them all. And it's totally appropriate. Look at, look at Psalm 98, which is one of the places where he, where he uh, meditated and then transposed into this beautiful song. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Isn't that good? Now there's some great reasons why we should shout for joy. When you look at this psalm, first of all it said, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. Do you know, why it's in, you know why we should have joy? You know why it's reasonable for us to have joy that he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel? Because if he's remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel, then he will remember his love and his faithfulness to us because we've been grafted into Israel. If he's kept his promises to Israel, he's going to keep his promises to us. And in Christ, we know that God has kept his promises to Israel. And in fact, that the promises to Israel was that through Israel, through Isaac and Jacob, through Abraham, through Israel, through Christ, through the, 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 the lineage of David, God kept his promises, not just to save his chosen people, praise God, he will and has, but that he saves all mankind, the Gentiles as well. We've been grafted in, amen? That's good news. So we have good reason to have joy. It's reasonable for us to have joy when we meditate on these things. So when we, when we look at this, and this is this, one of the things I want you guys to, that to, not only, I want you to get this for yourself, but I want you to teach others because you're all making disciples um, as we go together, right? A disciple, we're making disciples and we are disciples. We're following Christ together. And I want this to be an important part that we all catch as disciples of Christ who are making disciples together. And that is this. We are not basing the, the, the things that we do, the things that we believe and the emotions that we have on something that's irrational, we're not basing them on something other than trust in the reality of God. We are basing what we believe on the truth and on the reality of God. We are meditating on and thinking through and applying our intellect and our heart and our actions to something that has proven itself to be true and it's reasonable for us to have peace. It's reasonable for us to have faith. It's reasonable for us to have joy because of these things and because of Christ who has demonstrated them. Are you with me? I want you to understand this, that when we say we have faith, it doesn't mean that I wish I wish upon a star so, so far away. 
I hope it all works out someday. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is we're looking at the historical Christ who came, who worked miracles, who went and died on the cross at the exact time, fulfilling thousands of years of prophecy in a way that is mathematically impossible, then rising from the dead was seen by myriad witnesses, over 500 witnesses, after he was raised from the dead, and then ascended in front of hundreds of people and went back to heaven, and they watched him literally float into the sky until they couldn't see him anymore, and then they told people about it. And when they preached his name, then they did miracles that people witnessed and said, you just raised people from the dead. You just healed the sick. You just declared how these thousands of years of prophecy are actually coming to pass. So this is verified. This is witnessed. This is seen. This is experienced. And this continues to prove itself true. So what I want you to catch is we're following God not because we have a cool theory or a cool feeling or a cool ability to sort of reach out across the abyss and be like, I, I, I think far, far away. I, I hope unto towards maybe. I hope my greatest prayer wish. No, we're standing on the historical realities of Christ past and present, and therefore, we have reason to have joy for present and future. Amen? That's what we're doing. Does that sound good? Does that sound solid? Because oftentimes what I think happens for believers is when we disconnect, following through and engaging our brain, engaging all things, then we find that we actually end up with, a, with a, an anemic faith and something less than the confidence and the boldness that we're allowed to have. And that, that one of those ways that that boldness and that confidence is shown is through joy. It's a reality. And that's what I want to talk about today, is this joy. So we're standing on something solid. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And when he, when he did go, before he left, he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And we have great joy for that because he has defeated the enemy. Jesus won a complete victory. Somebody say, yeah. Amen. He has. And yet it seems that some people don't seem to be noticing here on earth. Have you guys noticed? There's a few people that don't seem to be noticing this. So how do we keep our joy while we're navigating this short time that each of us are entrusted with on this earth before Jesus comes and finishes the job that we're all working on? How do we manage the joy that we have in the face of some of these present issues that we're facing? Some of these disappointments and discouragements. How do we make this joy thing work? It's spoken of in the scriptures. It's real. We've tasted it. We've felt it. We've experienced it. But then we also have those times when things are hard. And you kind of go, well, I like this. I believe this. I see this. I it's true. It's held through the ages. But yet right now in the face of where I'm living right now, the things that I'm tempted by right now, the things that I'm facing right now, the things that I'm being resisted by right now, the things around me, how do I navigate in this place of joy. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to start in Psalms 43. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to look at the reality of how someone was able to walk in joy. Someone that I think we can all identify with, King David. And King David, he, he, he begins Psalm 43 with a, with a lament, with, with, with listing some things that are broken. So let me just lay this out for you. He says, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You're my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? How many of you guys can relate with that right now, right? Lord God, deliver me against an unfaithful nation. 
Boy, that's like a headline right now. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Man, who do I believe, God? Who do I trust? Even the Google lies to me sometimes, Lord. But you are my God and my stronghold. Now, David is doing something that's interesting. He's beginning in Psalm 43 with a meditation on the things that he actually can't control. He's actually starting and he's listing these things that are bigger than him. He can't control whether the nation is faithful or not. Sure, he could get an army and maybe, maybe he even destroys that unfaithful nation. Maybe he kills everyone. But that doesn't make him faithful. It just makes him dead. So he doesn't have control over that. And then also he says, Lord, rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. He doesn't have control over deceitful, wicked people and what they choose to do or how they come after him. He doesn't have control over that. And he's laying that before God. Then he also he can't control what God's gonna do. He goes, my God, you're my stronghold, but right now, why are you rejecting me? I don't even know where you're at. I can't even feel you, I can't see you. Where are you? You've, I've seen you come on, you've come, you've come through. Remember when I, when I, when I killed Goliath? David knows when he threw that stone at Goliath, he actually aimed, he missed, and the stone went like this and came back. You get what I'm saying. That's not biblical. But the point was that David knows God's the one that killed Goliath. He has seen God come through. He's seen God come through, and right now he's saying, Lord, it feels like even you've rejected me right now. You're my stronghold, and I can't even control that. Why am I going around mourning? And so what is he doing? You know, there's something here I want you to, I want you to catch this. There's something incredible about David that we need, to, we need to inculcate this. We need to make this a part of our life. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. Now, a lot of us might look at that and think, oh man, David's a man after God's own heart. I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What was it about David that made it that he was known as a man after God's own heart? Well, it was probably his perfect moral record, right? He was so perfect. Guy just never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He's just like, oh, just playing a harp. He was the original naked cherubim baby with a harp. No, David blew things up in a spectacular way, didn't he? So it clearly was not his perfect moral record. Now that doesn't give us license to go sinning, but it also gives us an opportunity to go, well, clearly God's a merciful God because it wasn't Dave's moral, uh, moral victories that, that, that made him a man after God's own heart. And I think, I think part of the thing that we can see, one of the attributes about David was his incredible commitment to always run towards God. No matter what he was facing, David always ran towards God. He understood, he knew where his help was coming from. He knew where his victories were coming from, and he knew where to run when he had losses. He would run towards him no matter what he was facing. If it was disappointment, or his own failings, enemies, or impossible situations, David would bring it all to God. He was completely vulnerable and dependent on God. He didn't lose sight of that. And I think we can learn a lot from David. See, he was completely open. He would lay these things out. Let's just look at this again. He says, vindicate me, God. Plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Don't reject me, God. Don't let me mourn. See, David takes the time to start with what he can't control, and he lists it, and he doesn't edit it, and he doesn't try to church it up for Jesus. He wasn't like, oh, dear God, vindicate me, our Lord, and plead my case against an unfaithful nation. But Lord, I don't judge them. I just want you to love them. Father, rescue me from these wicked people, but I'm sure that they weren't hugged a lot as children. Lord, I know, I know. No, he's laying it out as it was. He's saying, God, I don't have any control over these things. I'm being completely honest with you about what I, can't be, what I cannot control, and I'm lamenting about it. I wish that I could do something different, but I can't. Where else will I go? So he lays it out, and he, he's completely honest with the Lord. Unfiltered and honest. 
And God loves that about David. See, David has learned how to list and to lay out what he can't control and then to lament about it. Then he shifts. Let's look at the next, let's look at the next area. And, and I want to say this as, as we move. I want to say this. We have something to learn from David here because most of us in the church don't know how to lament. You see, we know what the answer is and we try to get to the right answer without admitting and feeling and, and bringing that part of our heart and our mind to God and we try to skip the process of lament and it's intellectually dishonest and our brain won't have it and it shuts us down. And so what we end up doing is we end up acting out in other ways because our brain is still working on and our soul is still working on trying to solve these impossible situations that we don't control because we're pretending that we're not even thinking about them. We're living in denial about that it's even going on. We're like, oh, no, no, my God's so good. My God's so great. My God can move some mountains. I'm totally fine. It's totally fine. And it's like, meanwhile, you're worrying in the back of your mind about that situation that you can't control, that loved one that you can't heal, that relationship that's hurting, that addiction that's growing, that problem at work, whatever it is. And you're trying to pretend like you, you can't see it. You're like, I don't see it. It doesn't bother me. I'm fine. It's good. Jesus is good. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's not wrong that you're doing Jesus is good and it's not wrong that you're saying that I can be fine even when there's things that are a problem. It's wrong that you're skipping where you list what's wrong in front of God. And we live in denial and because we can't lament or because we haven't lamented and we haven't taken the time to acknowledge that, then we're not able to move into joy. Do you see that? So we're skipping a part of how we can walk in health as someone who is a man or a woman after God's own heart. Can you receive that? We have to learn to lament. And David was masterful at this. He was masterful at this. He would just list it and lay it out there. And he didn't even try to fix it. And he didn't even try to then make it better. How many of us have ever been like, you know, we like really bear down and we're mad at God for a minute. We're like, dah, 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 and I just feel like, like David right here, right? He's like, I feel like you rejected me. And you notice he doesn't turn around and say, I'm sorry, Lord, good, masterful, merciful one that's always good. I mean, please don't be mad at me. I mean, I just, sorry, forgive me for even questioning you. No, he says, Lord, why are you rejecting me? Why do I got to go around mourning all the time right now? And he knows God can handle it. He's laying it out before God. Somebody needs a Selah moment right there. God can handle your pain. He can handle your anger. He can handle your disappointments. All right? So just bring them to him. Why? He already knows about them. All right, so we learn to lament. We list the things that we can't control. Then the author, David, he changes and he asks this. He says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And then I'll go to the altar of God. My joy and my delight, I will, I will praise you with the lyre. God, my God. So he, he listed all the things that he couldn't control and then he turns, and after he's lamented about the things he has no control over, he's identified them, he's lamented over them, he's turned them to God, and then he turns and he goes, now God, I'm asking you then to send me your light and your faithful care and let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell, and then he shifts and he goes, now here's the things I can control, then I will go to the altar. I can control whether I go to the altar or not, and God, I'm going to the altar. I'll go to the altar. And I also will choose, God, that you're going to be my joy and you're going to be my delight. And I will praise you, Lord, 
So I can do some things. I have some control over some things that I can do. It doesn't matter that there's an unfaithful nation. It doesn't matter that there's wicked people. Like, that's a bummer. I want that to change, but those guys don't get to decide whether or not I will come to the altar. They don't get to decide whether or not my joy and delight will be in you, Lord. So whether those things change or not, here's the thing I'm going to be doing. Here's the thing I can control. Do you see that? And he's saying, other people's actions don't get to decide my behaviors. Things that I can't control are not going to then control what I'm going to do. Amen? Somebody say amen. That was a good word. You see, he's finding those places then after taking time to be honest and vulnerable before the Lord and listing what he can't control and then lamenting it. Then he turns and he says, now, oh God, here's the things I will do in the area of what I can control. Here's what I can choose David is doing something interesting. He's finding and focusing on the things that he can control, and that's affecting the outcome of his life. Amen? Then it continues on. After he's taken that time to say, okay, here's what I can't control, here's what I can control, then he looks inward and he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He comforts himself in God. He speaks to his own soul. He's comforting his emotions and his soul, and he's doing it with kindness. Now, a lot of you, I don't know how you read this, but for me, I have been, um, I've not always been very nice to myself, to tell you the truth. I'm a bit of a, I'm a type A guy. I like results. I like to just go after it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if it's not working, just double your efforts, right? That's just kind of how I roll, and I'm like that with my own soul. So if I'm going through something and my emotions aren't matching it, I don't particularly like to be bummed out. So if my soul is like, ah, I'm disappointed, ah, then I'm like, why are you downcast, soul? Praise the Lord, dummy. Like, what is wrong with you? Put your hope in the Lord, you big stupid. I'm so tired of being sad. Knock it off. And my soul's like, what, even you are mad at me? Like, the whole world's against me, and now you're against me too? And it's like, even all the more, like, oh. How many of you identify as this? Have you, does anybody else read this scripture that way? It's like, get up, soul, you baby. Get, praise the Lord. Come back when you got a good attitude. Right? And that's, that's how I've been with my soul. It's just terrible. Soul abuse. <laughs> so, so this is an invitation, though, to, uh, to understand that, that this is not what David is doing with himself. This is not what we're called to do. We're, we are Trinitarian creatures. What do I mean by that? We've been created in the image of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is triune. He's a Trinitarian being. And we're made in his image spirit, soul, and body. And we are, we are absolutely one within ourselves. So you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. And you are one. You're made in God's image. But as believers, many of us are absolute jerks to our soul. And our body, for that matter. We're like stupid flesh, wanting things all the time. I rebuke you, Jesus' name. And then we're like, and you soul, you big whiny baby, just let my spirit be free. You know that if, you're, if your body gives out, you don't live here anymore. This is just, just so you know, you're done. You're done. And if you keep beating your soul up, by the way, a lot of you, that's why you're so easily tipped over is because you're not even nice to yourself. So as we go through this process, we have an opportunity to then turn and comfort ourselves and, and say to our soul, my soul, why are you downcast? You see, you cannot change your emotions and your soul is with the seat of your emotions. You can't change your emotions, but you can lead them. 
You can lead them. And this is interesting. Look at how he speaks to himself. First of all, he's being nice to himself. It's not you start being nice to yourself because Jesus is nice to you. It's his kindness that leads you to repent. So when was the last time you heard Jesus be like, you big idiot, get in that Bible, now. Nah! No, he's always like, hey, I'm the word of life. Why don't you come and eat and be filled, be refreshed. Come, wash in the water of my word. He's so kind. Be kind to yourself. And then begin to lead your soul. Now look at this conversation. He says, my soul, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Soul, put your hope in God. And he goes, for I will yet praise him. Wait, what? <laughs> you just notice how now there's a conversation, there's two people talking now. Soul, I'm talking to you. Put your hope in the Lord because I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What's he doing? He's saying, soul, I understand that you're not feeling joy right now, but, I'll, but I want you to catch this, soul. Put your hope in the Lord and I will yet praise the Lord. And you know what's going to happen, soul? After a little while, you're going to feel better. Do you see that? We can lead we can lead our emotions, and we do that by choosing to go towards truth. We, we make a declaration and a practice and an action, and that's what this is, and that's what David is showing us. Isn't that good? Now, I want to break this down into some real practical actions here. So, so I'm going to teach you an exercise, and I hope you embrace this exercise. This exercise was, uh, was created actually by, uh, by Henry Cloud, and there's a fantastic book that my staff brought to me and demanded that I read it. It's called Boundaries for Leaders. I'm just kidding. They, they didn't. They didn't do that. But they're all really glad that I read it. So I actually brought it to them. Why'd you guys even believe that? I felt like you should have stood up and been, no, and turned to Jason and be like. But they're all like, oh, amen. Okay, so it's a great book. And, uh, and that's where I learned this exercise. And as I get ready to share this exercise with you, what I, actually, I don't have time to tell you the story. So I'm going to show you this. I'm going to share this exercise with you. This is a fantastic exercise that causes you to walk through doing exactly what David's doing. I'm going to tell you the story really quickly. <laughs> because I think it does give it, it gives it a little bit of, it gives it something to stand on. This, this exercise, um, there was a, you guys are probably familiar with a, a very Hall of Fame uh, coach in the NFL, Tony Dungy. And Tony Dungy in 1996, he took over for the Buccaneers. And at the time that he took over for the Buccaneers, they'd had a 12, 12 season lost 12 seasons in a row that they're just a losing franchise. And he was offered the job to go and take over for them. And when he went on, all of his friends and his peeps are like, dude, this is career suicide for you. Like, you need to not do this. But Tony really felt like he was supposed to take the job, so he took the job. And the first thing that he did was he began to find out, okay, guys, why is it that this franchise keeps losing? And so he starts gathering information. What is it that's going on with these guys? You know, he's watching them play. He's hearing the stories. And at the end of the day, there was essentially four things that, that they really believed were causing. I mean, there were more than four, but these were the main four. Number one was, you know what? It's an old, poor franchise, and our facilities are all run down and trashy. And so, therefore, it messes with morale. And plus, we don't have the best stuff in the industry, so that's why we lose. The second one was, we don't have enough money in the franchise to buy any talent. So we're all a bunch of schlubs up here, and we don't have enough talent to win. That's why we keep losing. 
The other one was that, uh, that, this, that the Buccaneers just cannot play in cold weather. So if the temperature is below 40 degrees, the Buccaneers lose. So, so the weather. And then the last one is super awesome, and this is totally true. It's that this voodoo lady put a voodoo curse on the Buccaneers because some years back, 12 seasons back apparently, her favorite quarterback got let go and they brought in a new quarterback and she put the hoodoo down on them and now they can't win. So Tony listed these issues in his head. He came and he talked to the team and he said, guys, here's the thing. At the end of the day, we have no control over any of those four things. But what we do have control over is what we're going to do and how we're going to act and what we're going to believe. So we're going we're to stop thinking about what we can't control. We certainly can't control the voodoo woman. We can't control suddenly having an infusion of cash for the franchise. We can't create new facilities. They're already here. They're what we have to deal with. And we certainly cannot control the weather. But what we can control... We're going to work on those things. And so they worked on fundamentals. They worked on special teams. And they worked on making sure that their communication and their plays were perfect so they didn't do the stupid things that make you turn over the ball or, 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 or just various things where you implode because of your own lack of preparation. And he focused on those things. And over the next six years, he completely turned around that franchise to the point where after six years, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. He, at that point, had gone on to play for the Colts. But nonetheless, he absolutely changed that franchise. And he did it by figuring out what they couldn't control and setting that aside and then beginning to focus on what they could. Do you see that? And many of us, what we do is we spend most of our time on what we can't control. So let's do this exercise together. What you do is take a piece of paper, you draw a line down the center of the piece of paper. And you put down and you begin to list the things that you cannot control. And we're going to do that right now. So if you have a coworker at work, and they're trashing you. And I think most of us probably have had that situation or you've been on a team or if you're in school right now, you've got a couple people in school that are just like, you're stupid and fat and ugly. No one likes you. All right, so we all have that, right? <laughs> or maybe you're too skinny and ugly. It's always ugly though. Or you're one of the beautiful people so you're so stuck up and that's a rough gig too. Anyway, here's all the, uh, here's the, here's all the things you can't control. You have no control over what people are going to say, how they act, who believes them, whether they change, whether they leave or stay, if they ever like you, why they feel this way, how this started. You don't have control over where it is right now. It's like things are what they are. You, don't have, you can't control that. Or if it gets better or worse, no control over that. You can't control how they're going to respond when you see them together. So you take that time and you just write down on your list all the things about what you're going through right now that you cannot control. And you list it. You list it. You don't edit it. You just list it. I have no control over this. And then what you do is you take some time, just like David did, and you lament. You just lament. You take five to ten minutes, and you just complain about it. You just go, God, wouldn't it be great? Like, wouldn't it be nice? Right? It's like when you're sitting there, and your car's broke down, and you don't have the money to pay for it. You're like, wouldn't it be nice to just go out, push this thing off a cliff, Go to our bank account that's filled with thousands of dollars and just go buy a brand new Explorer. Oh, right? You lament. So you actually go through this exercise. So let's do that. In regard to this, wouldn't it be great if I could just record everything that they say, right? That nobody ever seems to hear, but I could just record it. And wouldn't it be awesome? Or maybe like in regard to how they act, if they had a shock collar, secret shock collar, and every time they do something, you just zap them, you know? Or, or if the boss actually saw them in action at their worst moment, and then they got fired. Wouldn't that be, like, that'd be awesome. Or, or if you're more benevolent than I, wouldn't it be great if they just got it? Like, if they just figured it out? Wouldn't that be great? 
Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just go back in time and undo that thing that you did that made it happen? Like if it was your fault, like, oh, wouldn't that be sweet if I could just undo that one comment that I made or that conversation and it just didn't, ah. Or if I could just wave the wand, you know, like the Alaka Jesus Kazam and then just, they just, ah, the next day they're like, I had a dream in the night. Please forgive me for the way I've treated you, right? That'd be so awesome. Or if you could just know the future, like if you just knew at some point they were just like gonna get saved or drive off a cliff either, but you knew and you were just waiting. You, maybe edit that off the video. You, like you, but you at least knew what to expect, right? If you, you just knew what to expect. Or wouldn't it be great if you could just count on them? It's like, man, I like already know we don't get along, but if I could just count on like what kind of evil you were gonna be every day, but it's like the same flavor. That'd be awesome. So we've lamented. And you take some time to lament. And here's the reason. The reason why you take time to lament is because if you, if you don't, you cannot trick your brain. If you don't go through this list of what you can't control regarding whatever you're facing, then your mind will keep working on it. And it'll keep sapping your joy. And you won't go on to the creative areas of what you can control. You can't skip this. And you need to lament because we're created to lament. We're created to actually have sorrow over the broken things that we can't fix yet. All right? Or ever. There's some we won't be able to fix. How many of you know we needed a savior? Still do. So you lament. You take that time. And once you've lamented, your brain goes, oh, oh, that's on the no control list. Thank you, first of all, for inventing it. Would have been nice if you did it years ago. But it goes, good, we have a no control list. I'm not going to meditate on that anymore. And then you can begin to list the things that you can control. I can control how I act, what I say to them, what I say to others. I can control the quality of my work, my attitude toward them, what I think about them, how often I think about them. Hello. Whether I bless them or curse them, how they influence my mood, what I believe about myself, right? They always see me, they're like, oh, you're the gorgeous stuck up girl. I hate you. That happens to me a lot. That's why I keep bringing it up. <laughs> so they, they, you also can control if you're going to pray for them, which by the way, we're believers and God tells us, hey, I want you to pray. I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who spitefully use you. And in the King James Version, who despitefully use you. So whether it's spitefully or despitefully, you're going to pray for them. And you can control that. Am I going to pray for this person every time I think of him or am I going to curse him? So now you begin to focus on what you can control in regard to the situation, and then you do those things. And again, like I said, it's a much shorter list than what you can't control. So you're already saving time. So let's do one together. Let's do one together. Let's do this one. An unresolved issue with the family member. So that involves, you know, everybody in the room. So let's work this together. Here we go. All right. So let's start. Um, and Christmas is coming, right? So you're actually going to be seeing this person real soon. So this is a really timely moment for us. So let's just start. What are some things that we can't control? What are some things you have no control over in regard to this person, this with the unresolved issue that you're about to see? And it, it doesn't have to, maybe you're at peace with your family. So it's a friend, coworker, whatever, but it's an unresolved issue with someone else. Think about it for a minute. Just start yelling out. What's some stuff that we can't control? Their attitude. Their attitude. Whoops, stop it. Or whether or not my machine works. <laughs> there we go. Come on now. All right. Their attitude. Okay, give me another one. Their anger. Their anger. That's good. Another one? 
Oh yeah, what they say. Say that again. What they believe. Oh man, there that's a big one too, huh? Uh, how they feel. Give me some more. What they do. Oh yeah, their version, huh? I'm just going to put their version because it's less words. Uh-oh, then I forgot what I was writing. All right, what else? Oh, Sorry, Josh. What they say in church. <laughs> Two can play that game. Uh. All right. All right. So, so this is great. So, and, th and this list is larger than this. This list is larger than this. But let's just lament this for a minute. Wouldn't it be great? Like, let's th throw a few out. Lament with me, people. Like, wouldn't it be great, like, if hitting was okay? You just slap them. Whoosh, snap out of it. I'm so tired of your bad attitude. And they were like, like in the movies, they're like, oh, thank you. I was really... <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm just talking about amongst brothers. Like, I'm not going to slap my sister, but my brothers. Come on, what's something? Come on, lament with me, people. I know, I made it. I put the bar too high. You're like, he's very violent today. <laughs> Changing the facts. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could just look at it together, like pull up a video? I mean, everything's being recorded anyway. If we could tap in to wherever the government's storing all of our information and just replay it. And be like, see, I didn't say that. Yes, that's a good one. Yep, change history. Oh, man, that would be, there are so many things. <laughs> What's that? If, yes, if they just, if you could go back and just make them understand. Ugh, like extend the benefit of the doubt. If they... The shock collar. Isn't that a good one? You can take that one home with you. I love it. What's that? If you could tape their mouth? Is that what you said? <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah, you just tape their mouth up. I love it. All right. So, so, so we have lamented. We have lamented. And obviously, we can't do that. We can't control other people's attitudes, their anger, what they say, what they believe, how they feel, what they do, their version. <laughs> Of the, of, the, of the how things went down or what they get for Christmas for you or whether they overspend for Christmas for you and they need to borrow rent money later. Can't control that. So we have lamented. Good job, everybody. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at, okay, what, what do you have control over? Okay, so you have your, you have your whoops, you have your, uh, you have control over your response. Or non-response. You can choose to love. Yep. What's that? Okay. Yeah. Whether you. Yeah. Your response. Whether you. Whether you go or not. Okay. You can choose to forgive them. Do you guys like this? This is in tongues. <laughs> My daughter, when I was doing this, she goes, Dad, this is a worthless exercise. They can't read your writing. What's a couple other things that we can control? 
Your reaction, yeah. Yeah, your response and reaction. It's good. And I, I think we can control what we say. Your graciousness. Yeah. Yep. To bless them. Yep. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. So what, what, what this is, though, is an opportunity for you to decide what you're going to do. And it is a shorter list. It is a shorter list. On a very practical note, I have a couple of pending loved ones, and I pray for them all the time. And, uh, and one of the things that the Lord had to confront me with is he, he was just showing me, he's like, listen, the way that you're praying for these guys is just you obsessing about all the broken things in their life to me, which is totally appropriate to lament. But then you stop thinking. I had turned my no control list into a prayer list, but then I was just obsessing on that list. Are you hearing me? And what he told me was, I want you to pray for them every day. I just want you to do it one time. And then put it aside and think about other things. So for a couple of you, that's a prophetic word. It's really good that you keep thinking and praying for them. Do it once. And then from then on, if it comes up, put them back in Jesus' hands and remember that you've prayed. Because what you're doing is you're actually doing like a Christian version of obsessing on your no control list. Say ouch or Amen. So when we have this list now, what we have is an opportunity now to embrace what we can control and to engage then with doing those things. And as we do that, what happens is you have a freedom then to focus on loving, to focus on praying, to focus on doing the things you can do, and suddenly joy begins to come back because you were created to be able to control some things, mainly you. But joy does return, and suddenly it goes from being this cool thing that we hear about in church and hope will happen at some point, and it becomes a reality that we continue in because we're saying, God, I give you the things I cannot control. I'll do the things that I can, and I will care for those around me in this way and myself, and I will have the joy that you give me. Can you receive this today? Lord, I pray that we as a people would continue to be not just hearers of your word, Lord, but doers of your word. And I pray for each of us, God, that we would take great care of ourselves, Lord, because you've loved us and that we would love our neighbors well. And I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, bless us this Christmas and every day. And thank you, Lord, by the way, for inventing Christmas by coming. In Jesus' name, amen.